Welcome to Tuning In. I'm Terry. I'm Kenzie. We're on episode five now. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> we it made it. And people are still listening. And you know, shout out to our 199 listens so far. You guys are just the best. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps climbing. <laughs> so close to 200. <laughs> yeah. So if you're out there, go do that so we can get over that milestone. Yeah, we'll all celebrate together. Yes. So what are you doing? What's new? Nothing a whole lot is new. But I've been working a lot, so I've had to listen to stuff in my car throughout my commutes a lot. And I found myself listening to Journey a lot of the time. Well, not a lot of the time, but mm-hmm. more than I ever have before. So, which is interesting because I should be listening to Rush. <laughs> <laughs> not that I did not enjoy it, but we'll get into that. Yeah. But it was kind of just interesting to find other songs that I liked and found it in my day-to-day playlist. And so... Kind of stuck to the wall. I was going to say, you've had a little bit of effect on yeah. me. and Randy Jackson joined the group again, I saw on fa- Facebook. Yeah. Go, Randy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you? What's been, new? Been uh, taking dives into NPR Tiny Desk from not knowing those existed mm-hmm. or to uh, kind of being an avid fan of that and just going through a lot, listening to uh, Blue Man Group was pretty cool in that setting. I still uh, need to different. watch that, especially because they don't sing. No, it was all P- PVC pipe and all that, but it was it was pretty interesting. I'm so excited. Uh, an Irish band was pretty interesting uh, that I'd never heard of, and it's just hardcore Irish music, and it was I, I liked it. It was kind of like heavy metal on accordions or something, you know. But, wow. Uh, it was interesting. I liked it. Yeah, I'm gonna so, have to watch that. So it was a good experience. Uh, Cage the elephant uh, passed the uh, car stereo test on oh, the way over good. the mountains blended in with the rest of the songs mm-hmm. and so I, that was great i enjoyed it yeah so far yeah. those seem to be the journey and cage the elephant seem to be the little winners on both of our ends there so i'm excited to see later on down the line mm-hmm. after we've done some other artists and stuff to see if like anybody surpasses those yeah yeah i, I run pretty strict tests on who i download so <laughs> i know when you said that. that you were downloading them i yeah. was like i'm kind of honored yeah well, I'd like to get into Anderson Pock, if you're okay with that. I would thoroughly enjoy that. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I learned that Anderson Pock, I researched from several different websites and a little NPR, Tiny Desk, and uh, so forth, and some uh, some uh, uh, videos and so forth. So I, I learned that his uh, he is known as Breezy Lovejoy, or was. Oh. I didn't know that. Uh, was unaware. <laughs> so, his, you know, his music's kind of this mix of funk, jazz, and reggae with kind of that foundation of R&B and hip-hop in there. Mm-hmm. And each album's a little different. I found his growing up to be fascinating. And really, you know, it's really good when you hear that to understand the artist a lot better. Also, it translates to when you get into some different albums of some of that comes out some of that those childhood experiences are really themes for the album so yeah. i'll get into that in a minute but so you know he uh, he produced his own music as a teenager and played drums in church and there there were some older musicians that tutored him hmm. so he kind of got his wings there uh his mother had some real troubles as a as a youth but this really like i said translated into the lyrics of his songs and and the content and the theme so his mother was physically abused when he was young by her um, by her husband or his his dad and she rebounded after he went to prison mm. 
she rebounded and became a successful businesswoman. She basically had some kind of a strawberry stand or something like that that she started. And she kept growing that into this big, I think it was fruits and vegetables business of some sort. Okay. I don't quite remember exactly how that worked, but it was pretty big. And they were doing great. And they moved to a very large house and things were going well. And then, uh, so she was this big businesswoman by the time he was in high school. And so, you know, things were going great. Then the strawberry crops. Apparently in California, they had two years of really poor crops, which decimated her business. And then she got into some gambling and she was successful. Oh, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I was waiting for (laughs) that. Usually it's the other way. She was actually successful, but because of those crops being so poor in the past, she was trying to repay some old debts Mm. with the gambling income. So she was doing that, but she wasn't reporting the income. Uh, And IRS uh, took a visit and there was some jail time there. Oh, wow. So meanwhile, Anderson Pock is kind of going all over the board, seeing his mom get physically abused, things get better and then they get worse again. And uh, so that had quite an impact on him. Uh, She does that. a happy ending here. She does work with the elderly now is out and I think, you know, doing doing well oh, with her life again, rebuilt it. So this uh, reflects in the second LP. So a little later, uh, he had married and had a son and lost a job and became homeless. So this wow. is obviously not too long after that because, you know, his teenage years here because he's still pretty young. So, but one thing led to another, and he was just kept working with music and got discovered and came out with an EP called Cover Art, which was recorded covers of songs by white people. So there's in there, I believe it's uh, Toto, Neil Young, there was one other, uh, but anyway, a couple different ones, maybe I'll remember in a minute. They're good. I enjoyed, really? actually, I kind of enjoyed that. I don't think they're very popular. Yeah. And then I had to go, I, they, it wasn't on Spotify. It was on somewhere else. So so I went and kept exploring and looked at his first LP. It was called Venice. Now, his albums are named, he creeps up the California coast geographically oh. to different towns. Okay. Yeah. And those are Southern the names California. of his albums? Yes. Yeah. So the first oh. one is Venice, and it works you know, from south to north. Wow. I do have predictions on his next album. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at a map. Could be some contenders. <laughs> yeah, so Venice, his first LP, it's kind of lighthearted. Uh, you know, he's a drummer. And so, you know, he has been he plays his own instruments in that as well. Uh, so it's kind of a lighthearted, some R&B, kind of the mix, kind of a mix of everything I had mentioned before. Uh, so that was all right, you know. And, uh, oh, and I forgot to mention, too, he was on American Idol. He was? Yes. And I don't know if that was during this or before that. I can't remember the year. I think it was before. He, uh, there was a contestant who made the semifinals named Haley Reinhardt. Hmm. I don't know if I remember. I kind of remember her when I used to watch the show. We used to watch it Mm -hmm. pretty religiously. I remember her in the name. And he was the drummer for her uh, performance in the semifinals or something. Oh, okay. So he was not an American Idol contestant. No, no, no. no, no, I was going to say, I'm like, (laughs) he was playing the drums. You can go online and see that. Oh, well, that's. Yeah, he's in the background. He's basically on that. So 2016 brought about the album Malibu. So Malibu deals, that this whole theme is the memories of the childhood. Mm. And so as you listen to that, you'll start hearing lyrics of stories, uh, his mom and so forth, of all the things that happened. Uh, that one uh, was 
wasn't my favorite listening. Is that the like multicolored album? Oh, I'd have to go back and watch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember the album covers. I'm, I'm sorry. so bad with that. It, stuff. it has something Malibu related, but the music on that probably wasn't my favorite. But okay. it was interesting to hear the if you knew the story and the lyrics, and you really get it and understand. It's kind of like poetry. When you look at poetry, you don't get it. Yeah. When you find the backstory on the poetry and the form, mm-hmm. it it brings about a whole new meaning you know, yeah. and appreciation. So I didn't know that's that. kind of where I came cool. away with 2016's album. Okay, I had to do a little bit more research because 2018, Oxnard, keep moving north, next town or two. That's wild. Uh, it's produced by Dr. Dre, and I don't know anything about Dr. Dre, except <laughs> I've heard him, you know, and I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's okay. That's just not necessarily your, your genre. But it, what it came up with is kind of a more, and I had to do a little bit of researching here to really understand this, but more of a, it had hip hop, more of a West Coast feel to it. And being that he's very West Coast, mm-hmm. uh, certainly that came became the theme of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are a few songs on there I enjoyed. Um, yeah. It was just different. The song, the album I like the best, and it's his newest, is mm-hmm. Ventura. And it's really an R&B and soul mixture that it reminds me some when I was a kid listening in the car at AM radio with my parents. And it was just... Stuff that was on was a lot of R&B. And so there would be like Marvin Gaye, Bill, uh, Bill, With- uh, Bill Withers, um, a band even called The Fifth Dimension. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Mm-hmm. But 60s and 70s R&B. There, and there were a lot of other performers and bands and so forth. I'm not going to name. But uh, a lot of those sounds are in there. And Smokey Robinson, who was big. Mm-hmm. I he's, like that. Yeah, that's like... Is a, greatest downloaded song mm-hmm. and make it better i believe that's the name of it yeah that's yes. what okay. it's called so that was really good i really enjoyed ventura uh just all the way through that was good um yeah so i do have a prediction on the next album while i'm thinking about it the, uh, the it. name of it well i was looking geographically there's a lot of little tiny towns but i didn't know if they were really prominent so the next kind of larger well-known town santa barbara santa barbara <laughs> And right. then geographically, Central California, <laughs> there's not a lot of towns so mm-hmm. um, until you get up to Monterey and so forth. So the the, the sixth album, I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to he's eventually going to run out of California. You have to come up to Oregon. I was going to say maybe we'll meet in the middle here. We <laughs> yeah. can the Coos Bay album would be awesome, but <laughs> can't imagine <laughs> tenth album. But... <laughs> Sad. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what he's going to do. If he goes inland, if he goes back loops back south. I'm not sure if he keeps his pattern. So we'll anyway, keep an eye on it, that's just my prediction there. Ventura was kind of cool. This, I don't know if you'd like this, but he put out an instrumental album. Hmm. It's Ventura without vocals. Oh. Actually, it's really good. That sounds just to really... Kind of listen to in the background. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds very soothing. Yeah. You know, lyrically, uh, kind of explicit. Mm-hmm. Some stuff. Um, not really into that. But I understand the backstories mm-hmm. a lot better of where that comes from mm-hmm. and some of the feelings that he had. So, you know, it's under, you can understand that better. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's kind of where I came away. He's got a band that's uh, pretty stable it's called the Free Nationals. That was his NPR people, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So he brought at least some of them along. I don't know if he had them all on there. It seems like there's quite a few in his live performances. And... Uh, 
so yeah, they're a pretty stable lineup. Uh, a couple other things here is uh, he had this Grammy Pro Music concert, and I was watching this, and I want to see him live. So I want to get into songs. This would be a good time. There's a song called The Season and Carry Me. Do you know that? I don't know. On the record or the uh, the album, it's okay. I didn't. I would. Yeah. I would have glazed over it. Watch it live, at least on this Grammy Pro uh, Music Live concert. Okay. Wow, it was really good. And he really? just goes. He's playing the drums and singing, and he kind of, kind of goes off on this jam. And he's got this lyric: "I was six years old and tried on my first pair of Jordans." Uh-huh. And that was kind of a big part of the one called "The Season." I really don't know if what this whole song's about exactly, uh-huh. uh, but he keeps re- repeating that line several times. It's a really good song, and then you know he's got some backup singers going with it, and then they—it's one of those songs that has two. It's really two in one. Mm-hmm. It's a season slash carry me, gotcha. and it blends right into the next song, and that, that one's good too. That actually was my favorite. It's a live performance. Yeah. The live version of that's. By far my favorite. Really? Yeah, that was really cool. You got to check it out. Sometimes it makes it like when you actually see it in action, like it yeah. makes you appreciate it a lot more. There's certain bands and performers that can elevate their music a, a notch further, and they develop it further mm-hmm. live. And you go, "Wow, I almost like the live version better than the studio." Oh yeah. I, I think that's hard to do for musicians, but some some can pull that off. It's Absolutely. Just, so some other songs, the one with Smokey Robinson, Make It Better. That was good. I uh, enjoyed that. Uh, there's one, Jet Black, uh, Don't Slack. That, that rhymes. That's new. <laughs> it is? It's a new, and it's a, he does a lot of collaborations with people I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's a new one. I don't, I don't remember know. who's collaborating there. Come Home, Brother's Keeper, Trippy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? That? Yeah. Put Me Through and Am I Wrong are ones that stood out. Yeah. Yeah. So, not my favorite. I wouldn't, you know, yeah. I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't come away enthralled like I did with Cage the Elephant or anything like that. Right. But you set your standards a little high. You uh, really helped me forge some new ground. Good. I wanted yeah. to, because I mean, eventually I kind of like the hip hop rap scene. That sounds so. not that cool um but i like that kind of music but i wanted to introduce someone to you who like could kind of dip your toe in the Mm -hmm. water without just going all out (laughs) yeah that was good it was it was an interesting person to research too good well Mm. i really liked that you said that you like the ventura album because that was my favorite as well. And that's actually how I got introduced to him. Like, mm-hmm. I was just going through Spotify one day and saw that it got released. And I was like, all right, well, we'll see what this is all about. And sure. it was recommended for me. And I tried it out. And then I was like, oh, I'm just doing the dishes or something. And I could listen to this entire album. And I did. And then I started discovering the old stuff. And, I mean, I found out the more people I knew actually really liked him as well so i was like oh okay i'm not like alone on this one but he's great um and i jet black was one of my favorite songs too and then he actually has a duet kind of song with um eminem called lock it up 
And that's a great song in my opinion too. But I don't know. There's a lot of random ones that I just really enjoy of his. But yeah, he like you said, he like duets with a lot of different people. So you just yeah. kind of find these little hidden gems here and there. Yeah, that seems to be his thing mm-hmm. to do that. And obviously he's getting a lot of people to, to help, you know, yeah. collaborate with. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And a lot of big people. I know you don't know Dr. Dre, but... You know, he Learned does like little, Snoop Dogg stuff. Yeah, he was a big deal. So I knew he was a big deal. I just needed, you know, had to go look him up. So. You know, one day you'll get yeah. there. You'll get there. So what did you think of Rush? I actually really liked Rush. Do you? I wasn't sure at the beginning. It wasn't that I had unwell feelings about it. But the sound was a little extravagant to listen to at first. But... I've heard you listen to them before, sure. and I, I probably couldn't have named them when we were listening to mm-hmm. them, but when it came on, I was like, oh, okay. I've heard these before. This is not completely new territory, but they're actually, compared to all of the ones you've given me, this is probably, well, and Pat Benatar, but more or less. Um, these are probably one of the bands that I haven't heard as many songs from. So I had to dig a little deeper and kind of listen to them more thoroughly because I wasn't sure if I knew them or if I liked them or anything like that. So yeah, it was just a little bit of a deep dive. Um, so I actually really enjoyed their history because unlike a lot of the bands, they didn't have a lot of fights. They didn't, they only had a couple members. Like it was just really enjoyable to read about Yeah, because I mean, they said in the end of their, I kind of read like a little historical facts and stuff. And at the end of it, they were like, yeah, we talk all the time. Like after they took their little hiatus, they're like, we talk all the time, but we're friends. We don't talk about work. Like we talk about life. And so it's kind of just interesting. Lifelong friends. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Like compared to all the other bands, (laughs) they seem. These guys you have invite in the house and hang out and just have a barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think that that made it really enjoyable to read and. So I found out that they started in 1968 as a Canadian rock band and they're all from Canada and that kind of, I don't know, like a lot of bands, once they kind of get discovered, it seems like they make the move to America and till the end, they were like, yeah, we are doing our American tour later, but we're staying in Canada. (laughs) And so they really stayed true to their Canadian roots. So we've got, is it Jetty or Getty? Getty. It is, okay. Getty Lee, the lead singer, he looks like someone, and I can't put my my finger on it, but like, I don't know. Maybe I'll think of the name later, but he's just an interesting looking guy. Um, and then Alex Lifeson is their guitarist, and Neil Pert is their drummer. So over time, they've got like seven Grammy nominations, And they're in, like, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as of, I think, 2012. Um, But, yeah, you told me to listen to their sound throughout the decades and how it's changed. And so they kind of laid it out as, like, the 80s was a lot of, like, synth playing, mostly from the lead singer, Getty Lee. But we'll get into that. Um, The 90s sound was more, like, hard rock, kind of radio-friendly, more or less. And then the 2000s was more like progressive, hard rock, guitar, that kind of stuff. How about the 70s? I think we'll get into that, but they didn't 
what would you say for the 70s? For the 70s, it's straight ahead, progressive rock, mm -hmm. uh, pretty, you know, long, the long songs and things like that. Okay, so, that's, yeah. yeah. Straight ahead, very little keyboards and things like that. Gotcha, yeah. okay. Because they talked a lot about when they started experimenting mm -hmm. with music le and not so much when they started. Yeah. But... I actually loved it. it. said that they started, their first performance was in the basement of a youth church center. <laughs> <laughs> Did not know that. Yep. <laughs> and so their music originally, they just were kind of trying to make it a hit with whoever it would be with. And it was high school dances and local bars. <laughs> and I just, it was so funny because it just sounds like your local, yeah. your local group, you know, that you're like, I don't know what they're doing kids. yeah literally so i counted they only had eight members over time so they kept it pretty small and i think that was er very early on that they were <laughs> switching out and that was dad's ice pack <laughs> we'll just leave um, that <laughs> <laughs> we won't edit that but uh, i burnt my finger so anyway <laughs> small details <laughs> <laughs> so um where were we on this? The members? <laughs> uh, the members. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of them were in the beginning. Yeah. And it was kind of like he was here for a year and then he left. And they pretty much found their niche of, you know, who needed to be in the band pretty early on. Yeah. So, and it didn't sound like anything went wrong. I remember Journey, like we talked about how many times that they switched people in and out. But they gave them one chance or whatever. And they were like, nope, doesn't fit. Bye-bye. See ya. Someone new. Come on in. And they're, I don't know, I just didn't seem like that was a common mm -hmm. theme for them. So their music mostly focused on science fiction, fantasy, and philosophy, which even from the heavy usage of synthesizers, you would know that. <laughs> you probably could pick that up without even having to listen to it. So they formed their own label at the beginning called Moon Records, and they kind of got a lot of their inspiration from Led Zeppelin and those rock bands. Um... And then it was interesting to me, too, that they the reason they got picked up mainly was from a radio station in Cleveland, Ohio. And just they mentioned the lady by name and just said that she put it on her own personal playlist of some sort for the radio. And then they got discovered and that was kind of how they got their American touch. And so I just feel like it was funny to see that all their introductions were like a church, you know, uh, you know, and. Canada and a radio station in Ohio and just so such casual stuff. Yeah. So then once they got popular, they re-released their album in America because they had already done it in Canada, but nobody in America really knew about them. So that once again, their album got more and more fame. So then Pert joined the band 16 days before their U.S. tour, and they said he just got along flawlessly and picked up on everything and it was just so funny they he changed their entire lyrical sound to the whole fantasy and science fiction kind of stuff and i mean he looks like a guy who would be kind of interested in that anyways but they wanted to start telling many tales and so many of their songs you hear that is storytelling and it doesn't necessarily all make a lot of sense but if once you listen to the song like you can tell that they're trying to convey a story. And in their sense, it's probably a little more, you know, <laughs> fantasy <laughs> and maybe not exactly makes sense realistically, but yeah. Um, so then their label tried to make them have a little more of like a stereotypical kind of family-friendly, radio-friendly <laughs> kind of album. 
And so that's when they released 2012, <laughs> which they literally called their um, protest album. And they were like, we're sticking it to the man. <laughs> and so 2012 21, was... 12. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> 2112. Um, 2012 was too easy. So 2112 was, yeah, their protest album. And it was two sides of basically like split in half of an LP. The first one was, I, I wrote down all these notes about just the album. Um, the first was about someone who, a free thinker, they say, finds a strange device, <laughs> <laughs> which is a guitar. Yeah. Um, and the whole song is just about finding this strange device and how he... I don't, I don't even know. It's Gets. in a futuristic world where music's all on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I kind of picked up on something yeah. that it was, yeah. guitars were not normal. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I was trying to figure out what 2112 meant. You know, like I wanted to get down to the nitty gritty of it all. And I wasn't really sure. And I don't quite know if I found my answer. It's just the year that, yeah, that it took place. Well... I this think. is the answer. I mean, I think so. Is there more to it? I'd, I'd love I to think hear. so, but this is the answer from I can't remember one of the band members. They okay. Rolling Stone interviewed him, and he said, "What like what what's twenty one twelve all about?" And he said, "The world will find peace and oppression as the Solar Federation unifies warring planets and instates the unit or instates the music hating priests of the temples of syrinx and overlords absolutely yeah. <laughs> of course i just i yeah. read that and i was yeah. like that didn't help me yeah. at all yeah so it's just music's outlawed in the future by an oppressive leadership it okay. must be overthrown to get music back that's <laughs> <laughs> so funny so lot, yes the syrinx says overlords and priests of the temples, you know, all that stuff. It makes total sense. So that was just one half mm -hmm. of it. Um, the other half was about marijuana, the twilight zone, and individualism. <laughs> Basically, like you said, they weren't really big druggies or anything like that, but they were just kind of singing about random stuff. There was a real misconception of the band that they were all into that heavily and all well, this stuff. Someone said that they were, yeah, like... They're actually kind of nerdy. Yeah, they seem like the it. The drummer go home and read. Yeah, he tour. was. That was yeah. one of the inspirations for this. Is that I can't remember the author, but he was reading some book about individualism and all that kind of stuff. And they were like, "What are you reading?" And he was like, "This really cool guys," and tried to like show that to them. And that was some of their inspiration for Twenty One Twelve. And I guess they like gave an ad, like a little shout out to the author, and everybody found out some facts about her and stuff, and thought that they were all like cult in a cult or something and everyone was like we're not satanists like it just it all kind of led to all this stuff and they're like whatever think what you want like this is our protest album so yeah they couldn't remember their reaction of the idea of 2112 when it got introduced to them but they're like yep it was just protest the man so that was kind of i mean that's a huge part of their thing but their norm basically was just like synthesizers, long songs, and just a bunch of random instrument additions. And as I was reading an article about them, they literally could not stop talking about synthesizers. 
And so clearly that is a huge part of their music and you hear it in a lot of their songs, but yeah. it was just funny that I've one like sort of instrument or whatever really like took them to another level. Well, I did in the late seventies, they started, you know, you started hearing more and more mm-hmm. as their music progressed. Yeah. And then that took to the eighties, which you know, yeah, I know you're going to talk about that, but. Oh, no, that's okay. But yeah, it was just, it kind of started and then it just like never stopped. And so it was a big deal. Um, it actually got to the point that their manager wanted, like, they wanted to start an album. And he was like, I don't want you guys to use synthesizers. He literally said it made him uncomfortable at the amount that they <laughs> used it. And so I think that's kind of when they were like, 2112, stick to the man. Like, <laughs> and so... Then later on in the 80s, they kind of added some more reggae and funk sounds. And in there, too, they were talking about just adding the triangle, you know, and all these random instruments that they were just having fun with, a lot of keyboard. And then the 90s were a less usage of the synthesizers and more keyboards. Um, oh, actually, less keyboard, more guitar. And added a little, like, funk and hip-hop and jazz. And then in 1987, they took a five-year hiatus because actually Pert's daughter and wife died within the span of a year. And I was like, oh, that is so sad. Yeah. So they took some time off, which is great that they let that happen. And so Pert came back in 2001 and was like, I'm ready. I've got some inspiration. I think he met a new lady who was like their camera person or something. Anyways, so then... In 2002, they came back with no synthesizers. That was just crazy. And their album had a lot of rapid guitar and drum solos. Is that Vapor Trails? I think so. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I almost, I almost didn't like it. It was, it, it was, so it was poorly produced. Oh. Uh, it was some really good songs. And I know they've actually went back and they remastered it. Mm-hmm. It sounds a lot better. Yeah. But it was, I was so excited, I remember, for that album because it had been so many years. Yeah. And then it was just, I don't know, it was just so guitar driven, Mm -hmm. but it didn't, uh, it had a lot of feedback and stuff. And it was kind of weird. It was kind of disappointing at first. Yeah, it was all, no no keyboards at all. It was just (laughs) grinded guitar, but it was just the production of it wasn't very good. Yeah. And they, if you go back and listen to the the second version of that, Mm -hmm. way better. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that. I didn't really go into too much depth of like listening to when they came back and which albums Mm -hmm. and stuff, but I'm sure it sounds better now. And so then in 2003, they did their Rush to Rio DVD and kind of announced a bunch of tour dates after that. And it also was around their 30 year anniversary, which it was interesting to me. And I think that I found this like the coolest part about them is that literally around their 30 year anniversary was when they did their first TV debut on the Colbert show and they were in a movie with Paul Rudd and as themselves and they did all these like debuts and firsts and like had so much success and it was their 30 year and you don't hear that about a lot of bands that you know people still care about them but they were still releasing albums and i mean i can't even count how many they said that they released after they were around for like 30 years they even did their first um festival 
um, in like 30 years mm. or something like that. They had done one like in their younger days, but they did their first festival after all that time and they were still popular and people still cared. And I thought that that was really cool. And so then, um, I think that was kind of around, uh, like 2008, they did the movie and stuff. Um, I mean, in 2007, they released their album and it was still like after 30 years and they were number three on the billboard charts. Mm. So I just thought that was really cool. And then 2013, after they did their tour, they decided they were going to take a year off. And that was when they were just kind of hanging out. They're like, we've done a lot. We're just going to take some time off. But then um, Pert decided to retire. He had some health complications. Just decided that it was not really time for him anymore. And then they still kind of all stated that they were still in the hiatus, but like, who knows when they'll come back and they're all kind of leaving it open-ended, but a lot of journalists and stuff took that and was like, we're never coming back and kind of bit them in the Mm -hmm. butt a little bit. And so they kind of tried to retrace their steps, but then they finally decided they're like, yeah, like there's really no hope for rush coming back. Like no ill feelings. That's when he was like, we're all still friends. We talk about it, but we don't talk about work. So I don't really know where everyone stands with the band. You know, he's like, oh, we've just been talking about life. And so then, yeah, they decided to just not return, kind of do their own thing. And then in actually 20, or January of this year, Pert died yeah, of brain a, cancer. Yeah, un- totally un- unexpected. They didn't but, see that coming at all? Well, I think they knew. You know, fans didn't know any of that. Yeah. It sounded like he found out shortly after their last tour mm-hmm. from what I read. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really sad. I mean, he's probably the, regarded as one of the world's greatest drummers of all time. Really? Yeah. Amazing. You know, and he was a lyricist, wow. too, and kind of just write incredible lyrics. Yeah, well, that's what it seemed like. They're, yeah. He kind of got just dedicated as the group's lyricist, and he was like, I don't really know how it happened. Like, these other guys didn't want to do it, and I figured I might as well. I know they... Getty Lee wanted to keep going, mm-hmm. and Alex Lifeson, he was having, I think he has like arthritis or something. Yeah. They mentioned that. Yeah. I, so I think it was getting harder. He was somewhere in between, and then Neil Peart was dead set on not coming back. Yeah. You know, and this was it. He wanted to go out on top, mm-hmm. and they respected that. They were like, we're, we're not going to get a replacement drummer or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's all three of us, or, or we're done. Yeah. And that's why they left it. Most bands won't do that. They'll end up coming back and bringing in somebody new, and it's never the same. Right, and yeah, and I think that that's why they stayed so true to themselves and so good for so long is that they just literally, they're kind of just such a random group of yeah. people. And even watching their music videos, I found those really interesting because a lot of them was just Getty Lee, like, singing in the studio with, like, his headphones on mm-hmm. and stuff at least from the ones that I saw, a lot of it was not these big storylines that we've seen in the past with other bands. It was just them in the studio with cool effects, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Yeah. Pretty, probably, I'm sure, good production for the time. But pretty raw stuff. And then there, I saw something of them live. And, like, Alex Lifeson was in this, like, full suit. 
And just literally looked like he was on his way to like a business meeting. Yeah. But then like Getty Lee's just in this t-shirt and jeans <laughs> and Neil's just kind of like hanging out in the back and they're just are having a good time as friends. I was, I don't know if you got to notice this, but after the, each concert, Neil Peart would run off the stage. He wouldn't go out in front, run off the stage, go and get on his motorcycle. And he would go on these motorcycle trips on, wouldn't take the interstates or anything in the back roads to the next. He wouldn't uh, go with You'd go by himself? Yes. Weird. Yeah, and he would do that, and so he would immediately leave. And it was only his last concert where he came out with the three of them. He never wanted to step over that boundary past the drum kit. Felt like it wasn't he wasn't shouldn't do that. Really? Yeah, and so he would take off, and then they would wave goodbye, and then he'd already be on his way. That I did not hear about that. That's actually really interesting. So you know, he probably rode down Highway 99 down in here in Oregon. You know, some back road. Mm -hmm. You know, one time after a concert. You know, I'm sure he did. Wow. Yeah. So what are some songs that stood out? Um, I really, I mean, I knew Tom Sawyer. I, the second I heard that, I could just imagine mm-hmm. you playing that somewhere sometime in my life. Sure, that's a yeah. anthem. Same with Closer to the Heart. That's a good one. Um, I enjoyed The Spirit of Radio and Passage to Bangkok. That's interesting. That's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It was. Uh, I feel like this happened with some of the other bands, but it was the first song that came on when I just did Shuffle uh-huh. and kind of just stuck with me a little bit. So did you notice that Getty Lee's voice changed over time? Went, it was real high, high it, pitched. and then, It got a little lower over time yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. When it was, when they first started. Kind of squealy. <laughs> very high pitch. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of didn't think about that. I noticed it, but I really hadn't thought about that until now. So yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I feel like I made them sound like this real ragtag group of guys who are so kind and you know, who knows what they were like. But I just I think thought they really that they're are. I think they're the real deal. Yeah, yeah. I don't I didn't want to make any assumptions, but I just liked it sounded like they had a great friendship and a lot of people appreciated that and somewhere it said that you either love Rush or you hate Rush. Mm-hmm. So mostly a guy band. Yeah. There's some women that like Rush, but uh, yeah. <laughs> concerts are mostly I could see that. I feel like their music doesn't seem yeah. too. Well, I saw them uh, right after when Spear of the Radio came out. Oh, cool. Yeah, on the Permanent Waves album. Saw them up in Portland. <laughs> and so they were, you know, that was pre- a year before Tom Sawyer and all, or two probably, that came mm-hmm. out. So, that, But they were in that Spear of the Radio. And I don't know if you heard Free Will. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that, that was sort of the brand new hit, big hits at the time. And cool. Yeah, so yeah, I've. Been a big Rush fan for a long time. I, I I like a song called The Trees. Did you listen to The Trees? I did actually. I don't. I can't imagine the song, but I know that. I, I have. There's uh, a shout out to Kevin over in Bend. <laughs> <laughs> he was my principal for years, and I I taught a lesson about the trees. Oh. I had fifth graders listening to Rush with the trees. <laughs> of course you did. We examined the lyrics for personification. Oh, of course. Yeah, literary literary elements. Um, I would have liked to do this this year, but COVID's kind of in the way, so probably won't do that. <laughs> but do that over Zoom. Uh, yeah. So of course I got. He came into the classroom just as I'm pulling out the rush. Of course. It's like this guy's cool. <laughs> I think it went over fine. Oh my gosh, that's um, so funny. So yeah. So anyway, I love the trees. Tom Sawyer. Uh, there's one called the Analog Kid mm-hmm. uh, from the Signals. That's when they start going synthetic, but it's, it's got a little bit more guitar into that. That one's really a favorite. Uh, there's one uh, that's in the 90s, not real well known, Half Half the World. Mm. I like that song a lot. It's not a, a real big one of theirs, but 
Then uh, moving way forward, their last album, Clockwork Angels. I love that album. It's one of mm-hmm. my favorites of theirs all the way through. It's kind of a concept album. Mm-hmm. Neil Peart wrote a book with co-wrote a book. With, there's a story. I read the novel. Oh, Clockwork is that the one Angels. that's about his uh, wife and daughter? I know he wrote he, after that several. all happened. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah, this is a novel. Oh, never. He mind. wrote one. Um, oh, Ghost Rider. Mm. After they died. Okay, that's what I was thinking. And he went of. on this motorcycle ride for a year. Wow. Just we hit and met people. No one knew who he was, and just went. And he, I was, I wanted to download that book or or buy it, but. So yeah. Anyway, that that album, Clockwork Angels, is really good and a good way to go out. Yeah. They didn't try to put out ten more albums or anything like that. No, no farewell tours and all no, that. No, they never really called the last one. I wish I would have gone to that. I, I that's a big regret. Yeah. Yeah, that I didn't go, you know, to that last tour. You always think they'll come around one more time. And, you do. And, yeah, that didn't happen. So, but, <sighs> yeah. anyway. So, I'm back in the late 70s. So yeah, at least cool. you had your time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's talk about next week. We need to reveal. Okay, you go first. I'm All still right. deciding on So, I've, I've got a band. I, yeah, I, I went through three or four, mm-hmm. but I came on this one. I think uh, listeners will enjoy this from my era. This is a uh, band that appealed to all gen- both genders and ages at the time, a lot of ages. And so it's Def Leppard. Ooh. Def Leppard, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what you think about Def Leppard. And I, I dove into some other albums that I haven't listened to very much just to do that in mm-hmm. preparation and thinking about this. So. I think uh, you'll enjoy Def Leppard, and I know other people out there will, too, about kind of reminiscing about that time. Okay. Yeah, so there you go. Cool. Okay. Um, I want to give you, this will be a little bit, I don't know if it's a challenge, but it's going to be different. Um, It's a throwback artist for me. Uh, I'm giving you Avril Lavigne. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, Avril Lavigne. All right. Yeah. So right. there's some things that I want you to focus on. Okay. She's got a lot of conspiracy theories. Really? There is one big conspiracy theory that I have my own stance on as okay. well. Okay. All right. I would really like you to look into that, and I want you to form an opinion. All right. Um, yeah. And I mean, I like her music, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I okay. grew up on Avril Lavigne. Uh, yeah, I remember a few. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure you'll kind of recognize some sure. tunes as you go on. Yeah. But she's cool. Yeah, this will be fun. Yay! (laughs) Cool. Well, next week should be interesting. Okay, well, good. So we've got uh, Avril Lavigne and some Def Leppard next week. I think that's a good combo. I was going to say, yeah, those are kind of a good little duo there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Well, we're going to wind this one up today. Yeah. Feel free to rate, review, give us all your love. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. On tuning in. (laughs) Yes, on tuning in.